Uh, when I came to Blue Valley 16 and a half years ago, little did I know what was about to happen to the world. A little more than a month after I arrived, Apple released the very first iPhone. And Julie had been saving her nickels uh, for quite a while so that she could get one. And so I guess we were in the first communal buying event in the history of the world. We stood for a couple of hours on the plaza so that we could go in and we could get one. And that weekend uh, that we got it, there was a get-together at a church member's home, Jeff and Ann Copeland, who uh, attend the first service. And uh, I remember Julie at that get-together showing everybody how the screen worked and you know, how, how you could be on the real internet with it. And everybody was just, I mean, fascinated by it. It was real kind of Star Wars stuff uh, for us at the time. It's become so used to it, we don't recognize that, but it really was. But what I didn't realize, and what most of us didn't realize, was how it was going to give us the ability to be online all the time, a capability that actually made social media possible. And it changed everything about us. Go out and eat, and you'll see couples on a date, or you'll see families uh, eating out, and everyone is either checking their phone regularly, or they are completely immersed in it all the time. Think with me about how the family living room dynamic has changed. Couples and families spend all night scrolling on their phones, rarely engaging except to say, did you see what I just sent you? Think about traffic lights, for crying out loud. Every time you pull up to a red light, people are on their phones checking to see if anything really important happened since the last red light that they sat at. So when I say that the iPhone changed everything the summer I came to Blue Valley, I'm not exaggerating. And I'm also not exaggerating when I say this. My deep conviction is that the emergence of immersive technology is the most serious corruption of the Imago Day in my lifetime. Technology's tentacles are coiled around humanity in every way possible. Author Chris Martin will be our guest at our January 5S conference, and he's written a book called Terms of Service. And he'll be speaking to us there about how the social internet has become so dangerous to our lives and our walk with Jesus, and the theme will be shining with all of that rather than being corrupted by all that. And I'd like to read to you a passage from the very first page of his book. He writes, David Foster Wallace, American author and novelist, once wrote, there are these Two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks at the other and goes, What's water? And Martin continues, The moral of this parable, if you will, is that most people are not aware of certain features of the world around them, despite how intertwined those features are in their lives. And he concludes by saying, this book is my attempt to be an older fish, except I'm not asking you how the water is. I'm here to tell you that the water is poisoned. Technology is second by second dehumanizing us. It has dehumanized us sexually. The scourge of porn 
has reached pandemic levels since the iPhone came out. It has dehumanized us interpersonally. The omnipresent screen is replacing personal interaction. It has dehumanized us culturally. Algorithms that feed us only what confirms our existing biases allow us to see folks who aren't like us exactly as dangerous. In short, today's technology threatens our ability to see others as image bearers and even threatens our ability to see ourselves as bearers of the image of God. It's not an accident that the spiking suicide rate among teens coincides exactly with the spike in online availability. When self-perception can't match the highly cultivated image of influencers, and when the smartphone makes bullying possible 24-7, then of course the natural outcome is a dehumanization that leads us to believe that our lives are not distinct or valuable. Our staff pokes fun at me for, for like a whole lot of reasons. But they really poke fun at me because on this subject, I'm like a dog with a bone. I believe that technology is the existential threat of our time, made worse by the fact that almost all of us are aware of its negative effect on others, but are completely, seemingly unaware of its effect on us. So we could not end this series on the Imago Dei, the image of God in us, without addressing the relationship between the image and technology. But did Jesus say anything about it? It's a valid question because we tend to believe that technology didn't exist when He walked the earth. But I'm here to tell you that's not true. Here's the dictionary definition of a technology the practical application of knowledge in a particular area. Jesus' earthly father was a carpenter. He used saws to cut wood. He used nails to fasten pieces of wood together. He used a hammer to drive nails. His father used the technology of the day to do his job. In Luke 4, we see Jesus opening a scroll and reading from the Old Testament, prophet Isaiah. A pen was used to record the words. Animal skins were dried to write on. Needle and thread sewed those skins together. Jesus used technology. Moses used technology. He received a message on a tablet from a cloud. I kid, I kid. So just as every tool-wielding human has ever done, Jesus used technology. But obviously, his technology was not as sophisticated or immersive as our technology is today. So again, we are back to the question, did Jesus teach us anything at all about technology? And the answer is yes. Because you see, Jesus taught that technology is morally neutral, which you are free now to say, well, I don't know where he said that, 
Are you sure that he said that? Where on earth did he teach that? And part of how I'd answer that question is by pointing out, as I just did, that he used it. He used the technology of his day. He likely used the saw and the nails and the hammer of Joseph's carpentry shop. We know that he read the words of Isaiah from a scroll. Jesus wouldn't use technology, would he, if it were somehow inherently evil. But I will admit to you that concluding that Jesus taught technology as being morally neutral is something of a deduction from Scripture and not something that is actually explicitly taught. However, I do believe that the deduction is valid, and I think that I can prove it to you. So I want you to walk with me for a bit through multiple Scriptures. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read these words, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, essentially, Paul, who wrote this, is saying the same thing that uh, the man John says uh, to open the book that he wrote about the life of Christ, where he says in John 1, 3, all things were made through him, and he's speaking of Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, together, these verses teach us that Jesus is the ultimate source, the ultimate creator of all things, even things that we might consider to be a creation of mankind, in stating that all things, including visible things, like thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, were created by Jesus. Paul, in Colossians 1, is reminding us that human institutions owe their existence to Jesus. And by extension, everything that those human institutions create, ultimately, are products of His creative work. That's why technology can be a force for good. Look no further than what we are experiencing together right now. We are using a microphone to hear me preach more easily. We are using lights so that you can see me more easily, which, come to think of it, may not be a benefit. So, thank you very much. Oh, Ted is still awake. Ted is still back there. So let's just say then that we are using light so that you can read your Bible more easily. You get my point. Technology can be leveraged to actually advance the gospel in the local church, but also worldwide. I want you to think how the message of the gospel can proliferate freely around our globe right now because of the internet and the social media even hopping the barriers that hostile governments give to it. My study for sermons has been infinitely simplified because I have a vast electronic library available to me on my computer. Technology couldn't provide those good things if it were somehow inherently evil. And yet... I made clear at the outset that I believe that the existential threat to our humanity is technology. And I suspect that saying that probably resonated with a good many of you. So how can it be both? How can it be both morally neutral and, in, and just a, a vehicle for evil? And the answer is simply, obviously, it can be both, 
because of us. We've referenced this before in this series, but Jesus said this when explaining to his disciples why his opponent's emphasis on religion that is on the outside was ultimately misguided. He said in Matthew 17, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this, what comes out of the heart, defiles a person, renders renders us and the things we touch evil. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things... Jesus said, that defile a person. In other words, while it is true that technology can be a vehicle for godly purposes in our hands, it more often than not becomes a vehicle that catalyzes our sinfulness. Take, for instance, the science of the atom. What we've learned Uh, from our study of the atom has made it possible for us to treat cancer effectively through the use of radiation. But we've also used it to create weapons that can kill millions at the touch of a button. So atomic theory went into the heart, and one of the things that came out was murder. So more often than not, Technology is a vehicle that catalyzes our sinfulness. And our lack of awareness that it's doing that is part of what makes it so hellish. That is why simply logging out of social media or turning off your phone isn't ultimately going to work. All you're doing is shuttering the platform. You aren't dealing with the dehumanizing impulses that made those things so dangerous, and those impulses will invariably find their way to work out in other aspects of your lives. That's why people who told me that they had sworn off completely social media were radicalized in the chaos of 2020 in their view of others. They had just found other outlets for their impulses and for their biases. In short, while it is possible to deduce that Jesus taught that technology is morally neutral, he explicitly taught that the water is poisoned because we are poisoned. This is why in person after person, technology is slowly chipping away at our basic humanity. So in light of this, what did Jesus do? And we can never overlook this. Jesus lived and embodied life. Christmas is rapidly approaching, and it's likely that during that season we will hear this verse once or twice or 50 times. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is telling us that Jesus chose and embodied existence. 
When we reference that verse at Christmas, we're usually kind of leaning into the theological importance of the necessity of Jesus being one of us in order to serve as our perfect substitutionary sacrifice and thereby satisfy the wrath of God against us because of our sin. But today, I want you to consider something else that maybe you have never before considered. Here's the question. Why an embodied existence in the first century? In Galatians 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In telling us that Jesus came in the fullness of time, Paul is telling us that God chose the first century for the inbreaking of His Son into the world. He could have literally chosen any other time in human history, but He chose the first century. Why didn't He choose to do it today? I mean, think with me. What if Jesus had been born in the mid-90s and was beginning His public ministry today? Can you think of how word of him might spread? What if he had a smartphone and, and a TikTok account? Can you, can you imagine the Sermon on the Mount? Hey, peeps, getting ready to drop some knowledge on a hill outside of town. Why don't you come out and hang? Hashtag Beatitudes. Hashtag Salt and Light. Hashtag Wise Man. I mean, obviously, I'm being silly. It is my spiritual gift. But I think you get my point. Marketers in the heavenlies would have said, God, not the first century. Wait until the era of instantaneous communication in the 21st century. But God says, no, the first century. When Jesus would personally pour out his life into the lives of of 12 men, when Jesus would personally interact with one Samaritan woman, when Jesus would physically touch one sick person at a time. Jesus wasn't embodied simply for the, the sake of the atonement. He was embodied because of the personal nature of His mission and the personal nature of our relationship to Him and with one another through Him. And I want you to think with me about how technology corrupted that personal connection. When COVID hit, I was glad that we were able to pivot as quickly to an online service as we were in order to kind of keep us together as a church in that season, although it was virtual. I was glad that we had Zoom for our Sunday school classes to be able to gather on a regular basis. But listen to me. I knew, I knew that it would be ruinous for a lot of folks long term. Our average attendance is about 80 to 90 percent of what it was pre-COVID depending on the Sunday, which is code for saying depending on what time the Chiefs kick off this time of year. 
but if people actually attended with the same consistency that they did before the pandemic, that would probably not be the case. A lot of folks who never missed a Sunday attend two out of four now. And a lot of people who attended two out of four attend one now or maybe attend once every six weeks. Why? Because they've convinced themselves that an online experience is the same thing as being in person, that online it can be church. And it's time for me to tell you what that kind of thinking is. Barring some kind of health situation that makes gathering with others dangerous, substituting online worship for in-person worship almost four years after COVID and two years after it has been a serious threat is sin. Jesus didn't come in the age of the live stream. And the only reason I can think of that he didn't is because he doesn't mean for life with him to work through a screen. And the pushback is, well, I, I don't have to go to church physically to be a Christian, and you are right. But I also agree with Dr. Tony Evans, who's a Dallas pastor. I don't have to go home to be married. But it sure hurts the relationship when I don't. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, came at a time when people were required to behold that glory and to hear that glory face to face and to enjoy that glory and to hear that glory in an embodied existence called the church. And when you allow technology to dehumanize the experience Jesus meant for you to have, you are not only living a subhuman life, you're living a sub-Christian life. So Jesus taught that technology may be morally neutral, but we're not. And he modeled that life with him was meant to be an embodied flesh and blood existence. So in closing, what did Jesus command? And it's here that we finally get to the passage I had you find at the beginning of today's message. Find Matthew 22 and look at verse 37. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In response to a question about Scripture's greatest teaching, Jesus provided the answer I just read. And if you've been a part of church for any time at all, you have heard that passage read a million different times. But today I want us to think about what they are telling us through the lens of what we're talking about today, about technology and dehumanization. First, Jesus' obvious command here is that we are to love God fully. This is what he commanded. And another way of looking at this is to understand that Jesus created us for the fullest connection with God possible. And he embodied himself on our planet to facilitate the deepest connection, the fullest connection with God possible. Thus, anything 
that diverts us from experiencing that fullest connection is something that is stealing from us our basic humanity. I want to make sure that you get what I just said. You were created for the fullest connection with God possible. Anything that steals from that is causing you to be less human. When I was a student minister from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, I constantly harped and educators constantly harped about how much time children and students were spent watching television. When I began student ministry in 1986 in the age of wagons, the average American household was watching over seven hours of television a day. Even in 1986, that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's almost a third of a 24-hour day. Today, Gen Z spends over nine hours in total screen time. Now listen to this. It's true of everybody. The average American, regardless of age, checks their phone 96 times a day. An average of once every 10 to 12 minutes. But we actually touch our phones up to 2,617 times a day. And we unlock our phones on average 150 times a day. We spend 150 minutes a day on average on social media. My point is we spend an astounding amount of time daily with our tech. So John Piper was on to something when he wrote this. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not for lack of time. Now, the delicious irony of that is that he tweeted it. <laughs> but how else would we see it? I mean, when we spend more time in a day on social media than we spend at church in a week, it was the only logical place for him to get the message out. My point is that we have allowed technology to make us the most distracted generation of Christians in history. Technology has distracted us with fears that are stoked by our politicians. And again, because we tend to view this as other people's problems and not our own, your politicians are stoking your fears. Technology has distracted us with monetized manipulation. I mean, have you ever wondered why there are so many ads on that website that you go to? in order to get the real scoop on what's going on in the world or what's going on in the church. We're being used. We're being used. Technology has distracted us with nonsense. We are amusing ourselves to death, and online media influencers are laughing their way to the bank. And we become less and less human because we are not connecting with God with our whole selves. Now listen, sometimes when you hear things like this, you think, well, you know what? I'm going to hit my phone with a hammer, and I'm never going to log into it again, and I'm going to spend 50 hours a day reading my Bible, and I'm never going to get on that stuff again. And first of all, let me just say to you that that will last maybe a day. The solution is not to just walk away from it completely 
and not to walk away completely from the need to periodically laugh at some stupid thing you saw on the internet or to, for me, pick up a recipe that I saw on the internet. Yep, I do that. The solution is to simply be aware of how distracted we've become and begin to shift some of our habits away from the screen and toward God and toward each other. Which brings us to the second thing Jesus said. Jesus commanded us to love others sacrificially. Jesus said that the outworking of a deep connection with God is a deep connection with each other. And we can't do that if all of our time with others is spent looking at a screen. We can't appreciate the family God gave us and gave us a limited time with by spending all of our time with our family looking at a screen. We can't appreciate the body of Christ, the church, by spending all of our time looking at online voices that just simply want to expose the flaws for a fee. We can't appreciate the basic humanity of others, others that we disagree with, by spending our entire day liking political post after political post that calls other image bearers animals or perverts or criminals. But it's little wonder that we do that because our distractive lives have lessened our connection with God and it should be no surprise that that distraction causes us to love others less and less and less. This is how Jesus said it worked. You love God, and it's automatically going to flow out of your heart into love for others. And again, our adversary, Satan, will try to push us to unworkable solutions, to give up, to log off forever, or to swear off politics. And once again, the solution is not something that's unsustainable. This horse is out of the barn. It's not coming back. You think everybody's going to grow a conscience in an American corporate world and say, you know what, this is really hurting people, so we're going to recall every smartphone? It's not going to happen. Do you, think, do you think social media companies are going to say, you know what, this is just fracturing us in a bazillion different pieces. For the sake of the world, we're going to shut this down. It's just not going to happen. The solution for Jesus followers simply has to be to become aware of how disconnected we are becoming from our fellow image bearers and to begin to shift our habits away from the screen. So what do we do? I mean, what should we do? And this is the point in the message where, because you live in a technology-driven culture, you need me to microwave something for you very quick. Hey, I need, I got, I need to get back to the, the, the reels. So if you could, just tell me something you know, really bite-sized, and I can take it from here. So that's what you want. You want, me to, you want me to give you something simple. So here it is. You ready? Figure it out. I mean, figure it out. I mean, you're not monkeys working on a puzzle. I mean, you're smart people. You're aware that this stuff is impacting you. You don't need me to spoon-feed you. Figure it out. Just figure it out. But maybe, maybe to help you figure it out, to see the impact that this is having on you, maybe, maybe you need two simple questions. So here are, the, here are the simple questions. Number one, am I more afraid than I've ever been? You know, one of the number one outworkings of a healthy relationship with God is peace. That's New Testament 101. Over and over again, you read that. 
So if you're saying, I'm more frightened than I've ever been before, then that answer tells you everything you need to know about how distracted that you've become. Here's the second question. Am I more disgusted with people than I've ever been? Am I ready to blow and hold a fence and let somebody have it more than I've ever been before? You know, Jesus saw the same sinfulness you saw. Matthew 9 says he felt deep compassion, which is hard actually to get from his language into ours. It basically says he just felt in his guts. I mean, he was turned inside out when, when, he, when he saw the sinfulness of humanity and what the modern church has done has decided that yelling at strangers is uh, one of the articles of faith. If we are people who lack peace and are increasingly angry, then maybe it is time to figure it out. To figure out what to do, not just with smartphone technology, but all of it that's available to us. To figure out how to shift our habits away from it so that we're less distracted for the purpose of being more loving. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.